0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homey, I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Once again, the Business Creators Radio Show comes to you from my sumptuous office balcony or balcony office In Las Vegas, Nevada, in the background, you can hear birds chirping. You can feel a gentle breeze. In the distance, you can hear the motorcycles zooming by as they take advantage of the recently increased speed limit on the road right outside my community. At any rate, we have an exciting from the field aspect to our show, and I invite you to tune in and enjoy the prospect of sitting in on a private mastermind conversation. Have your pad of paper and two pens in front of you so that you can capture those aha moments that naturally arise as you enjoy what you're about to hear. What we're gonna speak about today, uh, this is actually the title of the interview. It's how this fempreneur built wealth through helping others. Now, who is this fempreneur we're referring to? Well, her name is Michelle Rockwood She's an admired personal coach and sales expert who has helped hundreds of heart-centered badasses who hated sales conversations to fall in love with the process. I think I'm getting excited about this already. It's clear that Michelle knows how to transform businesses and lives. After personally hosting 400 plus sales conversations with leading excuse me and leading teams that generate real results, Michelle has seen and experienced it all. With a background in nonprofit fundraising. Michelle once raised a million dollars for a charity over a single lunch. I think we may get some answers to some of our questions here. Michelle Rockwood, come on in. The weather's fine.
2: <laughs> Thank you for that amazing introduction. That was pretty awesome. And I love picturing you over Las Vegas with the birds and the gambling all in one. So happy to be here.
1: Candidly, I'm not sure I'm worried to be here. And this is my show. So uh, what we like to do here before we begin our conversations, uh, I know there's a number of points you want us to cover today, and we'll get through all those and more, is we like to, first of all, read off the official bio that you gave us, which, as I said, is very impressive. And within that bio, you gave us a couple little snippets of your background, a little bit of your experience. But what we like to do first is have you tell us a bit about your journey and what has powerfully motivated you in your own words to arrive where you are today, serving your community from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It's been such an amazing journey and it's also been, it feels like the longest and shortest journey at the same time. You know, I started off my sales career, I think has so many people have is selling real estate. You know, I sold real estate in Southern California when uh, right before the bubble burst. And uh, it was a pretty exciting time, I have to say. Um, but something in my heart wasn't quite right. It didn't fulfill that part of me or the way I was working rather didn't fulfill that part of my heart and my soul that really lit me up. So I said, screw it all. And I went and I joined the, the Peace Corps and I ended up in Mali in West Africa. I uh-huh. had an incredible incredible, incredible life-changing time. And, you know, that brought me back to the sales and this nonprofit merging, you know, how do I merge these two? And I ended up in, in nonprofit fundraising and I was so good at this, but again, you know, that part of me that wanted to make money for myself and my family and, you know, receive for my gifts wasn't quite there And so my journey took me to coaching and I ended up working for an incredible coaching company called the Body Mind Coaching Program, where we train holistic practitioners to be coaches. And as I Uh observed these incredible heart-centered people who were, you know, in their words, non-salesy people, I realized that I could help them. And they had something that most salespeople lack or often salespeople lack. And that's that like heart and soul to truly help their community, to truly do good. um, And and that, that soulful part of themselves. So when I was able to take my skills, my sales skills and match them and marry them with their Heart and soul, and their ability to give, it really became this incredible program called Body, Mind, Sales, where I was able to use, yes, you called me a, a thumbpreneur, right? The art yep. of receiving and start to think differently about sales from everything from how you set up the call to really honoring yourself to, um, you know, taking that money on the first call and why that's so in service of the client. So it's been an incredible journey. And now I'm able to help hundreds of entrepreneurs um, a year, you know, everyone from a life coach to Facebook ad specialist, to Google ad specialist, to work smarter, not harder. And that is, you know, really slowing down on those sales calls, some of the tools and tactics that I suspect that we will talk about here today.
1: Well, let's start with the very first one is, and we've already alluded to it, but let's get into this because this is a big issue with a lot of our listeners and a lot of people that I've dealt with in business over the past 20 years. Oh my goodness. I'm actually starting to say it's been 20 years that I've been in business because we're almost there. Can someone who is not a salesperson ever actually be good at sales?
2: Yes. Yes. And the reason why is you can't transfer something you don't have, right? And that's what sales is. It's this transferring of my joy and my love right for the product that i'm selling to the other person. And oftentimes somebody is not good at sales because they're really good at something else. And when they have the training in a way that appeals to them that isn't pushy, you know, somebody who's not good at sales, they've they've run away from sales. Because of these old school tactics that they have been taught, which really don't fly anymore in a world that is so bombarded with, you know, all the marketing and all the sales. When you can find the time to slow down and to connect and get into rapport with your client and to really share the essence of what it is you're doing Yes. I, in my experience from my clients, they are the most non-salesy people in the entire world. And man, they just kick ass in a really short period of time. And that's because they're taught differently.
1: You know, you've used maybe three or four swear words since we started. I love it. I'm so,
2: oh gosh,
0: I was like, (laughs) oh, my heart started
2: racing. I was like, oh shit, I'm in trouble.
1: (laughs) That's that's five. That's, that's five. Uh, there are times on some of these episodes where I will just go off on an absolute rant. I'm actually not feeling one right now, but we do have a group of listeners who check in on my episodes every week to see if this is the one where I dropped a 500 megaton f bomb. It well, I will won't happen here. Wait in anticipation. <laughs> probably, it, pro- so that- it probably will, probably won't happen. You here. know some. But I wanted to make I to make a point about that, and that and listeners know that I will go off on these things that seem like tangents, but they're actually leading to the main point. And that goes back to authenticity. Uh, you strike me as being highly authentic in your communication style. I don't get a sense you're really filtering or trying to fit yourself into anybody else's shape. And I think part of that goes into a person who may be afraid that they may never be good at sales. They may be worried about being salesy. They're going into a situation that just is not authentic to them. And sometimes we express our int- our authenticity, first of all, by not knowing how to pronounce the word. And second, by saying, you know, I, I, I don't want to do this shit. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, uh, cause yeah. they're, it's like, Oh my goodness. What if that comes across as unprofessional? Not only won't they hire me, they'll tell everybody and nobody will ever hire me. Is that playing a role here somewhere? I
2: think this is a really good point. And the, one of the points you're making is when you don't feel authentic, you're not going to come across as authentic. You're not going to connect with that person. And especially in this day and age, so many of your listeners are really working pretty intimately with their client. Even if you're you know, managing Facebook ads or Google ads or you're a writer or copywriter, you're going to be spending a pretty big amount of time with your client. So if you're somebody who swears and you can't be yourself around that client, you know, creating a business of ease starts on that sales call. And so we will actually make a point to, you know, drop an F-bomb in an email or something because that signals to somebody, right, that we are people who are authentic and who curse. And if that doesn't feel good to you, then it's not going to be a right fit. And that's what right you can share. Your marketing does is mm-hmm. excludes people as well as right. includes your ideal client. And that's what we want to do on sales calls as well. You want to be sure to not work with people that aren't aligned with you.
1: Yeah, we there's actually a two-part strategy behind why I do that. For those who have questions about it, part number one, is we have hour-long audio episodes. These are designed for the type of entrepreneur who likes to stream their podcast while they're doing something else, driving, jogging, running, or just to have something useful in the background while they're doing something else. When we do that tactic, when we find it fitting to do so, we don't do it just to do it. We find it if and we do it if and when it fits. We do it in such a way as to create a pattern interrupt so that they come out of what we call the white line hypnosis and say, whoa, 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 what was that? Uh, He said, what? She said, what? Oh, did, did I just miss something really good? And now you have their engagement again. The other piece of it is just as you said, I'm not going to be very comfortable working with people where I have to worry about walking on eggshells and making sure that I use corporate speak and 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 that I follow proper procedure when it comes to managing my words and putting them in the correct order in a sentence fuck that
2: (laughs) you're talking about breaking rapport too great great great
1: and 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 here's the thing I I am very selective about who I work with I only take on a handful of larger size projects every year because I just feel a sense of getting personally involved in it. I have other business ventures that I do for leverage and cash flow and things like that. But for the core of what I do with my two primary businesses, I really just, I mean, it's just how I am. Uh, so rather than try and modify that, I'm going to use it. And I like to work with people who are the exact same way and communicate in similar ways. Um, Those are can my I tell people. This? And I want to can I start Can I
2: tell a story about breaking rapport?
1: <laughs> Please.
2: Okay, so I used to work for nonprofits, right? And I am yeah. I, I, yeah, like helping people. Yes, is very important to me. Making money is very important to me. But right. I said so I was working for this nonprofit. I was standing up in front of these donors. There were about six of them that were able to make a several hundred thousand dollar donation, right? So I was standing yeah. up in front of them, and I was sharing about the women's shelter that I worked at, and uh-huh. I was going on and on and on about all the things, and their eyes were glazing over. Right. I was starting to lose them. So I stopped. I was silent for a really awkward period of time and all of their eyes looked up at me and I said, I'm so sorry. I am so nervous speaking to you here right now because this is so important. And you should have seen the change in their body language as they picked up their pens and started to pay attention and made eye contact with me. It wasn't inauthentic, right? I was nervous. Right. I was nervous that we're going to walk out of there and they were not going to make the impact on these women that I was set you know, forth to do. I. It was so important. And every single one of them took out their checkbook and they wrote several hundred thousand dollar checks. And it was because... I broke rapport, like you said, and you can do that with a pause when being authentic and saying what you're actually feeling in the moment, really, really powerful.
1: I felt the power of you doing that when you did the pause as you were telling the story. And so this is how you raised a million dollars for a single charity event. This is how you did it.
2: This is not that particular, this was a different story. And oh. actually this is a great sales story too. If you want me to share this story,
1: we love stories.
2: Okay. Okay. So, you know, Adam, I know you've done this before. So admit it to me that someone has gotten on a call with you, or maybe you've looked them up and you've said they can't afford what I'm offering.
1: Oh yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. This is the biggest no-no and I will slap your hand if you're next to me because you need to get your hand out of other people's pocket. You have no idea what they can afford. Well, I worked for one of the biggest um, healthcare providers in the country. And I was tasked to speaking with individuals who were capable of making large donations, but our algorithm, right, didn't always get it right. So you had to use, you know, your tools available to you. Well, this particular person that I was assigned to connect with, she didn't fit the mold. She lived out um, in the sticks, right, for lack of a better word. She didn't dress the part. She drove a Honda Accord. The dresses weren't there. You know, all of the signs that pointed to the ability to make a large gift were not there. But since I know that I need to get my hands out of people's pockets and it's none of my damn business what you can and can't afford, it's my job to present the opportunity to you. Uh I continued in this relationship and this conversation. And the second time we met, I invited her to lunch. And we sat down and we talked and I understood her hopes and dreams. I really understood why she cared so much about the institution, and the impact it could make. And then I simply did what I do is I present the opportunity to everyone when they're a good fit, right? And she said, yes, I would love to make a donation that would feel amazing to me. I said, great. What size of donation would feel really impactful to you? And she said, I think about a million dollars would feel good. And I said, lunch is on me, right? <laughs> it was like, this is a good, <laughs> I got the check. And she ended up giving even more than that. But you know what more importantly is I allowed her to join a club that, and I am using like club air quotes, you know, I pr- allowed her the opportunity to make an incredible impact on an institution, on um, a a doctor right in his work that had made an incredible impact on her life. So it's a real honor to sell. It is really absolutely the start of something big. It's the start of everything. So it's a very, I hold it as a very sacred experience.
1: That is something. So what level of investment would feel impactful to you? Did I say that right?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: And you and you had her pegged to somebody who might not even have cash to donate at all, or not a, maybe a significant amount. And she I, just said, Absolutely, million. She and she said, Oh, million dollars.
2: Yes, she did. Yes,
1: uh-huh.
2: yes. And it was just So beautiful and such a lesson in never judging what someone is or isn't capable of and allowing them to step up to the next level. It turns out she was very, very wealthy and just an incredible human being who went around doing good deeds all over the place. And it was just it was such an honor.
1: Readers of my book, Groundhog Days and Event, Not a Business Strategy. If you have that book, you may remember the story. Uh, if you don't have this book for our listeners, go get it. It's Groundhog Days and Event, Not a Business Strategy at www.thegroundhogbook.com. Is the, the host I'm allowed to do such things. We, in the in the P chapter, which is about prospecting, we have the story of Carly, who's the web developer, and she's dealing with her very first wealthy clients who we name Affluent Vic. So she does a project with Vic and it goes pretty well. And then a few weeks later, Vic comes back to her and asks her to do another project for his firm. So she, with her conditioning of the level of clients that she's worked with up until then, And the amount of money that they've been able to pay her, and all the challenges she's had with them trying to get discounts and breaks and complaining they can't afford it. She goes through the same process with Vic, saying, Okay, I just have a couple questions for you. I have the paperwork and everything else. And she doesn't hear from Vic for the rest of the day. Logs on the next morning, and she has a reply from Vic. And to paraphrase it, he says, I sure hope we have not. lost an entire day while you were waiting on an okay on a quote from me what i have is money what i don't have is time and i don't have time for this jacking around you do good work i liked what you did last time i wouldn't be speaking with you if i wasn't completely confident that you would do a great job this time so charge my card tell me how much and let's get going And you'd be thinking, oh, what an ass. Why would I want to work with a client like that? Well, it occurred to Carly to say something like, wow, I'm so honored that even so early in our relationship, we have such a mutual trust that we're able to communicate this level. I have processed your Amex on file for $4,500. I'll have the draft to you a week from Friday. Let me know if you need anything else. And he wrote back, you catch on fast, grasshopper. Do you see the point?
2: I don't know if I do.
1: The idea is she was not accustomed to dealing with the type of client that will gladly pay high high dollar in exchange for high value. She was in a program where... She had been taught that she has to follow formulas for sales. She has to analyze prices, and then she has to deal with objections. And now she has this client that comes along. He's kind of gruff and a little bit abrasive, and you'd think, oh, this is the one that's going to be a a real pain to deal with. He's the one that's going to be high maintenance. And it turns out that all he expects is to exchange what he feels to be a fair amount of money to receive what he's paying for.
2: Right, and she, was right. Not, and
1: she was not accustomed to the possibility that, because she's so used to getting into debates with clients over 1800 versus $1,900, because that's where the client is. And she's taking that on herself, that she could actually just take a client's credit card on file, process it for a much larger amount, and then tell the client afterward how much she charged it for.
2: I love it. The whole time I was actually listening to you hear that story. I was like, she needs to have a new system for taking the credit card and never asking the client for it again.
1: <laughs> exa- 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 exactly. Yeah. It so
2: makes me crazy. Yeah. makes me crazy. What are you doing? Talking about money? Like you've yeah. already sold the thing. You're like, let's let's move on and move forward. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Carly is a fictional character and Vic is an affluent. Cha- Vic, Well, he's affluent, but he's also a fictional character. But as I tell this story from my book, I can see the faces of the real people that Carly and Vic are based on. So this really, so what I described to you really happened.
2: Love it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that leads, and that leads to my next question. Uh, When it comes to this, when it comes to this whole thing of how we deal with pricing and everything else, you throw out a very interesting concept. Now, if you recall from my story, Carly was stuck in this phase of this, this mindset of I have to jump through hoops to get a repeat customer to give me a little bit of money. Now we hear Michelle Rockwood saying that you should limit sales conversations to just 45 minutes. And I hear people saying, but what, that's not enough time. What's going on here?
2: I cannot hit this point home enough. If you are prepared for a sales conversation, if you're honoring your time, if you're honoring your client's time, you should limit them to 45 minutes. And that doesn't mean you might not go over by 15, right? But you have everything inside of that 45 Uh minute container in which to serve your clients. Now, I don't know about you, Adam, but I'm pretty busy. And I don't have two hours for a sales call. And this is indicative of our relationship. So if Carly is going to take two hours on a sales call with me, I suspect she's going to take two hours on regular meetings with me. We want to make sure that we are professional, that we're asking the right questions, that you're using your engaged listening skills to actually hear a client and really understand what they want in a short period of time. You've also put some things into play that makes a 45-minute call possible. Because if your client is walking around Target, your prospective client, while you're attempting to bring them into your program or your your Facebook ads or whatever it is, that's not going to work. So setting yourself up for a 45-minute empowered, embodied sales call, there's more to it than just the few minutes itself.
1: Uh Uh-huh. I get get you. So it's not necessarily that you're running a timer on it, but it's the idea that you create a container that that actual conversation happens in 45 minutes or less. And what I also really, really struck me is how doing your sales conversations that way is a, is a way of pre-framing the rest of the relationship. It really jumped out at me when you said, well, if she wants to spend two hours on a sales conversation with me, if I work with her, I'm going to probably be dragged into a whole bunch of two-hour meetings. I don't have time for this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you're bringing a client to a choice. On that sales conversation. And you should be able to do that in a short period of time. And yes, you are showing off, in my case, coaching skills. In other cases, your ability to get to the heart of the problem and ask the right questions in that very short period of time, helping you understand the client, bring them into their vision of what's possible and then helping them understand the choice that they need to make. And that's a really big difference. And something that I just love is my goal is to bring a client to a choice in that 45 minutes. And when you, a choice as to their next best step, right? Can I give an example of this?
1: Oh, please. We love examples.
2: Okay. So let's say somebody comes to me and they say, Michelle, I want to lose weight. It is so important to me that I drop these 30 pounds, right? So I could talk to them for half an hour about my program and how I help them lose weight. And I don't really do this, you know, and all of the things and, and how I'm going to get them to their goal of 30 pounds lighter. But I did a really crappy job and they're not going to say yes, because I didn't, in the beginning of the conversation, make sure that that's the actual choice to be made. And if I'm using my amazing skills, my amazing sales skills, right? I'm going to say to them, why, why is it important to you to lose weight? And I'm going to ask more and more questions until I really get to the heart of the matter. Oh, you want to run a 10 K with your grandkids, That's really important to you to run. You've always wanted to run a 10K. Tell me more about that. Now we're having a conversation about a 10K and how the whole, you know, the client's life, they've always wanted to run a 10K. Great. Now the choice is how important to you is it, dear client, to run that 10K? And so when you can, you know, be really smart and methodical in a sales conversation, bringing a client to choice up front You can help move them through the choice to work with you or not. And it's going to be very clear as to whether or not that's their next best step. And it's such a cool way to host sales conversations because they're like, hot damn, if you help me come to choice like this in a sales call wow, you're going to really help me come to decision about where I want to publish my book or how I want to lose weight or whether or not I want to stay in this relationship. Hot damn, I'm in. I can't not be in. It's going to cost me. So it's really the 45 minutes is a part of a bigger picture and process that I bring people through. But absolutely, I can't tell you how many times I've been on sales conversations where I'm like, I have a meeting after this, right? Like I am completely busy and honor yourself and respect yourself and honor the client at the same time.
1: That right there tells me something very interesting is we, and it goes back to things we cover in some other episodes of this show. We had a conversation a few weeks ago about the importance of the five whys, which is a common management technique. And it's to you, what you're saying is something not dissimilar from that. Is somebody shows up on your doorstep and let's say they want, they say they want to lose weight. Just going by your example. Well, do they really? Because if everybody who said they want to lose weight, really wanted to lose weight, we would live in a society of very skinny people.
2: <laughs> very true. that
1: what you see when you look around? No, no. There, there would, there would probably not be a lot of books on how to lose weight because it would be such a commonly accepted body of knowledge that people would just know how to do it. It's been my contention that when you see a plethora of information about something that tells people to do a certain thing or teaches people to do a certain thing, that's an indicator that there are a lot of people out there marketing to somebody based on what they say they want rather than what they actually will respond to viscerally.
2: Nailed it. Yep.
1: Like a lot of folks that I know will say they want to lose weight because they want to be attractive for prospective dating partners. But the actual issue is they want to get more dates. They want to find a significant other. They want to find love. Right. Right. So if, so, I mean, do you really have to lose weight? to find love? Do you, I mean, do you, th- I mean, if you, you probably go about your life, you see a lot of couples, are they all absolutely heightweight proportionate? Like you have to be, <laughs> you have to be in shape before you can find love.
2: Absolutely not. Absolutely that
1: hasn't been not. my experience. Yeah.
2: So yeah, really, really that's, you're seeing somebody yeah. and that's the difference. And what makes, and can, what make anyone who's listening to this, Called different is you can actually see your clients, and that's what makes you really unique. We walk through this life so lonely and and so not seen. And so then when suddenly somebody can actually see you because they use their engaged listening skills, they use the five whys. It's a great technique, mm-hmm. and they got to the heart of the matter. You feel seen in a way that you haven't felt in a long time, and you want more of that. That's an addicting feeling, right? You want more and you want whoever it is you're working with to be able to see you. I met with a branding expert yesterday and she saw me, she saw in between the lines of the things that I like and I was attracted to. And that felt great. I wanted more of that.
1: Why is it that you say that getting a no on a sales call is better than a maybe? Why
2: getting a no on a sales call is better than a maybe?
1: If the prospect tells you no, why why, why is that better than getting a maybe? You indicate you want to discuss loved. this.
2: Yes. I love getting a no on a sales call. It means I have done my job in an incredible way. I need to give the client and help walk them through the steps that they need to take to make a decision. And when somebody has that and they come to the decision and they can make this empowered no, right? Not a, I can't afford it, or I need to talk to my spouse or the time isn't right. That's not a no. When you can help somebody come to a, this is not right for me, and this is not my next step, you've really served them and helped them make a choice as to their next step forward. I have stories galore, but I tell this story all the time. Please tell. Please tell. Okay. One. Please okay. Tell I told this story galore. I was, I dated a guy in college for five years, right? He was the love of my life. I loved him so much. And I, I said, look, it's time to shit or get off the pot, right? Let's get married or let's move on. And he said, no. He said, no to marrying me. And it broke my heart. I lived in Redondo Beach, California at the time. I remember sobbing in my car before I went into Buco de Beppo to Beppo. I was a waitress at the time and I couldn't even make it through my shift. I was so distraught. And to this day, that is the greatest gift he gave me. What if he had said, Let me think about it? Maybe, I'm not sure. And five more years of our life had gone by. That no, that definitive no was so powerful and was such a life lesson to me. And I celebrate every single no on a sales call. And these so-called, Adam, these so-called non-salesy people, they're really affected energetically um, by the sales process. And so when they work in a certain way, way where they really bring a client to a choice, they can energetically cut that client off, like cut the cord and send that client on their way And move on to their next thing. But when the client says maybe, and there's no yes or no, no, they're thinking about them. If you're anything like me, you're laying in bed going, oh, what are they thinking? Are they coming in? Are they doing the thing? You know, you're waking up going, oh, should I send them an email? Should I follow up? No bring them to a no on that call. It's a beautiful thing. Look at your stats. Those follows follow-ups do not work, right? Depending on what business you're in, they rarely work. And when you can bring a client to a powerful no, and you know that this moment, this sales conversation is all you got, you bring your whole heart, your whole soul to it, and you help the client come to a choice.
0: You
1: know, I never, I never thought of it quite the way you described it. I've been saying for years, say no to success. And I have no problem telling other people no. The way I view it is I create somebody else's yes. That thing that's being offered to me, well, if I don't want it, or let's say that I have a prospect Mm -hmm. that I could work with, and maybe I don't want to work with them or what have you, or they don't want to work with me, or for some reason, it's just not a fit. There's somebody else out there who would love to have that client, who would love to have that prospect and for whom that would be exactly the type of, pro- of prospect or client they're looking for. By me taking that away from them, I'm actually doing a disservice to them as well as to me, because I'm now blocking off space that would otherwise be available to somebody who is, is destined to work with me. So Adam say, no, really success.
2: well put that's yeah. really well put. You're, so, you're and almost and, stealing. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I, and so I think of you having been uh in a relationship for five years and wanting to sort of find out where things were going, because in your mind, you wanted to get married. Your vision in life is I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a husband, uh, you know, whether you're going to have a family or what have you, whether you're going to have the <laughs> white picket fence or okay. the cabin okay. getaway, whatever you get the idea. It's, you know, it's either going to happen with this guy or it's not. Yeah. Uh, and after five, and after five years, you think you know somebody well enough to have an idea whether, marriage is in the cards or not. And I, I mean, now, unless you and him had already come to some agreement that we don't need to make, bring church and stay into this, our decision to be together is enough. But for you, that wasn't enough. Yeah. So you had to bring it to a point where basically he had to decide if he had the same level of investment in it that you did. So Mm -hmm. you did yourself a favor because ultimately you opened yourself to other vistas and created space Mm -hmm. for the man to enter your life who could be your husband. And at the same time, maybe your boyfriend of five years really just isn't the marriage. I don't know the guy, but let's just say hypothetically, he wasn't the marrying type. Then you set him him free to find the companion who would stand by his side for 20 years, even though he didn't put a ring on it.
2: Yeah, you got it. You got it. Have you seen the movie Liar Liar? Do you remember that old movie?
1: Oh, yes it
2: feels so good to tell the truth. We walk through life giving these white lies all the time. Oh, you look good. Oh yes. I'd love to volunteer at kid's school. Oh, no problem. Cut me off eight times. Right. And, and when you start telling the truth and walking through life, telling it's as if you're, you know, you take your shirt off and well, you're a man, you can walk around without your shirt on. No problem. You know, you just feel this sense of freedom and it's so cool. And when you can bring that to your sales calls, when you can bring that hell to your everyday life, you know, if we're going to go beyond sales calls here and just start to tell the truth. No, I don't want to volunteer. No, this isn't feeling like a good fit. You serve everyone.
1: Right. Well, my, well, my nose are somewhat more micro. No, I won't take a selfie with you because I believe that selfies kill. I've been saying that so much that it's gotten <laughs> to the point where people are now telling me their stories about how they held off on taking a selfie of themselves because they heard my voice in their mo- in their head saying, "Be careful, you might fall off a cliff and die." Oh
2: my gosh i live in I live in Denver, Colorado, so this uh-huh. legit happens.
1: Yeah, there are there are actually websites dedicated to tracking selfie related deaths and fatalities no
0: and i and
1: i and i I have twice almost hit people taking selfies with my car because even though i'm one of those rare people that actually drives five miles an hour through parking lots they're so focused on oh look at me in my selfie they'll just wander right in front of my vehicle
0: i believe it
2: i believe it especially Uh in in las vegas
1: uh, yeah. Well, a lot of places. Uh, so that's one of my no's. And then another no is uh, no, I won't give out my cellular number to anybody. Uh, even my parents call my business toll-free line. Why? I've actually done an entire training on how I use my collection of desktops, laptops, notepads, smartphones, etc., to streamline and increase my accessibility and combine that with scheduling tools that enabled me to manage optimally my mental, physical, and emotional energies to be of maximum service to people. But the, you know, the bottom line is, I just don't want people texting me. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to have to watch another device and have people try and end run my systems for being maximally efficient and accessible to as many people as possible because they want to cut in line. Love, I it. Just don't, I just
0: don't I love it. I
2: yeah.
1: love it. And don't do I, it. Don't do yeah, it. Like, yeah, you can, make the yeah, rules.
2: Yeah. You make the rules of your life. I, yeah, um, I,
1: in fact, I'll even tell you who's, who's able to text me. Um, my sister who usually sends me names and it's no big deal if it takes me three days to get back to her and uh, a group of my buddies from college. Uh, and most of that texting is simply about planning our, planning our regular get-togethers. And the reason it's on text is because two of them just do not participate on social media at all. And even, they, and, and, and even they have no expectation that I'm going to respond in 30 seconds, 30 minutes, or sometimes even that day.
2: That's powerful.
1: Fact is, I'm sitting, as I mentioned at the beginning of our interview here, in my sumptuous office balcony here in Las Vegas, my my phone's around somewhere. Maybe it's inside on the charger. I don't know. I don't use it when I'm home. So what good is texting me <laughs> when I when I when I say use my messenger inbox because that follows me pretty much everywhere. Uh, chances are I'm probably on a laptop, maybe my tablet, maybe I have one of the three smartphones around, maybe I'm in the office using the desktop. As I said, I did a whole training on this, but the bottom line is, I still want to.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I, I it, it, it repels me. Uh, and then, and then my, and then my third no, of course, is no. I will not carpool with you because when I'm ready to go and leave the event, I'm ready to go. I'm not waiting for you to have 25. Hey, I gotta go, but let's chat for another hour type conversations.
2: This is great, Adam. I mean, some everything my, you're saying is, you're my, saying yes to some something, my, right?
1: Some of my most, some of my biggest horror stories when it comes to my social life are all the times when I I was either somebody's passenger or I had a passenger with me and I got trapped in a place sometimes for literally hours and I, all I wanted to do was leave. I'm, I'm in <laughs> I'm a highly introverted person by nature. In fact, I'm so introverted, they create a new category over on the left side of that spectrum just for me. For some reason, I attract extroverted people. These are the ones that you can't get to the door without them having six more conversations, even though they've already decided to leave. When I'm I'm, I'm ready to leave, I might execute an, an Irish goodbye just so I don't have to say goodbye.
2: Is that what that's called? I'm there, I'm known there, for those there, it, too. I'm there, known my friends are like what? I almost there, hang up the phone, yeah, without there, saying there, anything.
1: There, there's the Irish goodbye, there's the French exit. Pretty much every culture has their own version of it, but it's it's that strategy of disappearing from a place and people only noticing later that you left. Awesome.
2: Well, I I commend your nose. I commend them and I I love them and getting people to know is super powerful and when you think that way you're often going to get more yeses <laughs> that's the that's the trick right so when uh-huh. you think this way and you're allowed and, and allowing and creating the safe space for somebody to say no they're really going to be comfortable in working with you and saying yes and joining your programs applying yeah. for your services all the things
1: yep so yeah so the answer to uh hey we're, i know we're going both going to that event tonight you want to ride together i'll say gee Sorry, I have a client thing that's way on the other side of town. It runs right up to it. In fact, I'm probably going to be late, but I look forward to seeing you there when we reach, each arrive separately. Is that the truth? Yes, that's exactly what I say. Great. <laughs> but, with that, but what that allows me to say yes to is having my energies aligned with the whole situation.
2: I I really like that reframe because it's not, it's not a negative. It's not saying no, you're saying yes to being present. When you arrive, you're yeah. saying yes to not being uncomfortable in the situation. Right. You're saying uh-huh. yes to so many things. And yep. that's the reframe with the, no, you're not, you know, limiting somebody else or anybody else's growth. You're just the opposite. You're right. allowing yourself to be truthful and honest.
1: Exactly. So let's. Focus in a little bit more in the time we have left on narrowing down your conversation a bit, or your, your your well, your conversation, yes, and also the container with which in within which you you can tell you can tell that uh, it's been a long week for me. Um, so we're discussing sales, and we've covered how a person who's not a salesperson can be good. Now, there are those out there maybe listening to this who may say sales is sales, right? But what makes which just in your own words, Michelle, what makes what you do different than sales training, for example?
0: What makes what
2: I do different than uh, typical sales training? Yep. you said you said something in the beginning. You called me a, a femmepreneur, right? Yep. Is that right? That's a, that, like, that's
1: a title he gave us. How this I didn't give
2: you that title. I did, well did not give you that title.
0: Others.
1: Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So our well, listeners are fi- our listeners are finding are finding out some of the uh, some of the interesting stories here. But yeah,
2: so I was a little bit like uh, I was like I think that's a sexist title. And then, and I'm not, and then I thought, you know, actually I started to kind of like it because this is what's different about body, mind sales, about my sales process that I bring people through. There's a feminine energy to it. And I'm teaching you the art of receiving. Yeah. And that when you allow yourself to receive for your gifts, when you honor your time, when you have an embodiment practice that allows you to show up to the call, fully as yourself, fully present, all these things, you allow yourself to receive with ease. And that's the opposite of what we've been taught that sales is. We've been taught it's this masculine endeavor where we Uh chase people, convince, we're the first person in line, we follow up and we show up. And this says, yes, that's a way and it works. Here's another way that's as, if not more effective, that uses so much less of your time, of your energy, attracts the right people to you, and allows you to to work and live in this spacious energy. So, that name that you gave me really does explain the difference in the way that I work and the way that I work with people. It feels great when you feel as excited about your sales conversations, it becomes this client partnership, not sales. You start to think differently and you love it. When a sales call pop, they pop up on my phone automatically. I just do inbound, you know, from ads. I'm like, Oh hell yeah. I can't wait. What's going to happen you know, and if their application is amazing, I know, oh yes, it's so important that I do my embodiment work. I get myself into the right mindset. I've already set them up for success based on the way I've set up my call. And now we can just have fun because what we're doing here is so important because I know on the other side of working with me, what's possible for that client. And so it's my job to help get myself into that state of being, Not my mindset, but my physical state of being so I can connect fully with that client.
1: Fantastic. Now, another thing you shared with me, we were chatting before we began the interview is about something called an embodiment practice. So let's shift gears a little bit. Tell us about that and how that helps your business.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it helps you. And when you help yourself, you help your clients and that helps your business. And an embodiment practice is, you know, you might think of meditation or yoga or running or walking your dog. You listen for this. When you hear people you admire speak the secrets to this their success. they'll go on and on and in fact this happened to me yesterday. I was listening to a recap of a sales experience that somebody had and it was somebody I really admire, really well known in the industry and she went on and on about what she, what took to put on what it took for her to put on this huge challenge. And she got to the end and she said, but you know what was the secret? 30 minutes before every call, I turned on my favorite music and I danced my butt off. That is how, when I showed up to those calls, I was glowing. I was alive. I was connected. It's that embodiment practice, whatever it is for you, that brings you into the right state of mind for your calls. For me, it's breath work. It's yoga. It's really connecting to what it is that I do. It really matters to me that I'm able to transfer to the client the glory of what I do, right? So I want to think about client stories and success and think about them and have them at the top of my mind for that call. Yeah. And for you, it might be something else. Do you, do you have something? Do you have, do you do jumping jacks or, um, you know, it can be having a beer before a call. It can be having, you know. Just something that helps you find your happy place so that you can best connect with clients.
1: By by way of answering your question, uh, let me ask you, uh, do you ever go on long drives or take road trips? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. When you are doing so, what do you listen to while you're taking that long drive?
2: Hmm. Currently, I'm into Death Cab for Cutie. I don't know. Um, sometimes I'll turn on some classical music if I'm, you know, wanting to uh, record. I record myself sometimes. Yeah. Um, sometimes nothing.
1: Okay. So I'm hearing music or sometimes you like the quiet uh, of the drive. Is that mm-hmm. basically what I'm getting? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. aren't you listening to audiobooks by influencers? You are wasting time. <laughs> you should be filling your brain with knowledge while you're sitting there. the adv- Okay. Here's, here's the here's the point here's, here's, the, here's the point I make. Yeah, I get it, um, yeah. The music or the quiet is what motivates your brain to create your brilliance and your passion. So if I'm ramping up for a call, uh, usually going to one of my really weird playlists that just jumps randomly from genre to genre and finding one song on it and looping it 24 times does it for me.
0: Mm. Cool. And,
1: and uh, I do some of my best thinking when I'm on extended drives. So I have a whole bunch of similarly mismatched, mismatched songs on a USB drive that I have plugged into the vehicle, and I will turn that all the way up.
2: That is your embodiment practice.
1: Yeah because you know cuz you know it's going you know to happen if i listen to an audiobook by an influencer in either of those situations <laughs> it's going yep. it's going it's going to either distract or deflate me because it's yeah. going to get me thinking about things i don't need to be thinking about in that moment as i'm leading into a call
2: all the things you don't know right or you yes. need to learn or you haven't done yet versus all that beautiful knowledge that you have to share right one one point i would love to make adam is your embodiment practice is great but it's not worth crap, right, if your client is walking around Target, if they are driving oh, their I've been car. There. Yes. And so your job is not only to do your embodiment practice before a sales call, but is to support your client in doing that as well. And there's some simple things you can do to help your client get into their Bodies, right? Get into their focus yep. and to their breathing, even on a call, and that is very powerful and essential because, at the end, it matters how they're feeling. Oh, yeah. in that situation with you,
1: yeah. And if you, and if you're and if you're in that situation where the person you're on the Zoom call or the phone call or whatever is doing something that's taking away from that space, then it's my contention you owe it to yourself to reschedule it. Uh, I'll tell you, here's a big one for me when. People attempt to combine their phone calls with their meal times. Yeah, I, I misophonia is real, and when I hear people trying to speak with food in their mouth, I want to put my fist right through my monitor. <laughs> so <laughs> I, so I will actually say, sorry. Um, we need to reschedule this, or do you need ten minutes to finish your meal and then you want to call me back? Because I, I don't get into the part where I'm not going to listen to it. while. But the bottom line is I'm not going to deal with listening to their mouth noises.
2: Yeah. And, and you don't need to be mean about this.
1: No, no, no. I'll just. You no, can I'll, actually I'll phrase, I'll use. Possibly, yeah. I'll just say, hey, you want to take. I, I see you're I see you're in the middle of a mill here. Uh, how about if you how about if you finish that up and then you give me a ring back? Or how about I give you a ring back in 10 minutes once you're done?
2: Yeah. Holding these fierce boundaries on a call yeah. with your clients. Again, you're demonstrating the type of relationship you're going to have moving forward. Yeah, And when they know that they have to show up to a meeting with you, having uh-huh. done their work, right. That's who they want to hire. Not somebody who says, Oh, don't worry. No problem. Right. No, put the sandwich down, go ahead, turn on your monitor, focus right. on me, focus on this situation. Mm-hmm. And Honor yourself and and me at the same time. That yeah. is back to our breaking rapport.
1: Right. Yeah. I was. Yeah. A few years ago, I had a client, and I was actually in charge of managing their team meetings in my in my consulting business. And I noticed that during the team meetings, you'd hear a lot of those mouth noises because people were using the team meeting as their lunch hour. So I. I spoke with a client about this and I told the client who was driving me absolutely fricking batty. And they agreed uh, with, with what I said next, which was to tell them that the team meeting is not their lunch hour, that it's not like they work nine to five with their designated hour for lunch. They don't work in an office. In fact, they're not even employees. They're independent contracting agencies. They can eat whenever, just don't do it on the team calls. Uh, a couple Folks actually argued and said, "What's the big deal?" So I just dropped them off the call. And after a few people, uh, I heard their mouth noises, and all of a sudden you are disconnected. The message got through. Don't eat on the freaking call.
2: Yeah, yeah. I will remember that for you yeah. for the future. <laughs> and damn it, I am not going to hit my sandwich nearby.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, and and you know what I think part of it was I, is. Most of the folks in that particular team were people who had corporate backgrounds and were used to the idea of demonstrating what a great employee they were by eating their lunch at their desk while they kept working. And they hadn't quite made that transition to, hey, I, I've got, aside from deadlines, I've got control of my own day. I can have lunch, dinner, breakfast, supper, whenever I want.
2: Beautiful. Well, I love, I love that you took charge and, and held the meetings the way that you, that, that, that felt right for you. And well, I, then, yeah.
1: And, and, yeah. And that came back to breaking rapport, as you said, and when you think about it, there is some of that embodiment stuff going on because it's about creating a situation that is pleasant and inviting for everybody. I might, there might've been others on that call who have the misophonia issue. I might've just been the only one saying it out loud. Uh, others may have been for whatever reason, reluctant, hesitant, or intimidated about speaking up about it themselves. So they're trying to listen in on this call while they're seething with rage because that's what misophonia does to you because they hear, um, 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 oh, you, you know.
2: Yeah, when you, Im- when you implement and throughout your entire life and living the way like you are, that you desire, yep. that- your work suddenly and your life there's a little separation because they both feel so good. Yeah. That's really, really what we're aiming for.
1: Exactly. So, uh, so we're at the top of the hour here and I could certainly stay for another three hours. I think we have so much more we could do here, but for now, for those of you who, you know, for those who are listening in and, leaning in and may have an interest on how to become better salespeople even though they may not be quote unquote good as sales who may want to look at a new paradigm on selling and want to get more into some of the powers of things like heart-centered sales and how to build wealth through helping others some of the things we touched on during this conversation how do they reach out to you? Uh, what's the point of contact, and what do they have look to look forward to when they do?
2: Yeah, if if you're like, okay, I, I hear these embodiment practices. What does that actually mean? How do I actually yeah. implement that on a call? A great place to go is bodymindsales.com. Body yep. mind sales.com. Mm-hmm. And there's a training on there that you can grab. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, the best way to do that is rockwood.com Michelle with two L's, rock and then wood, Rockwood.com And you can reach me there.
1: Fantastic. Well, Michelle Rockwood, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in
0: education. Thank you so much, Adam. This has been so much fun.